Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Zach. <laughs> this is part two of our series on what it means to be a church with Jesus at the center. Last time we talked a lot about the kind of grounding theology and some of the history and some of the sticky, tricky messiness of working that out in real time. Um, today we want to put legs on the thing. Yeah. We want to talk about how we do that practically yes. in our practices at open table. The practices that we have already put in place and the practices that we hope to to practice in the future. Yeah. And some of the driving ideologies behind why we chose to do those things. Yeah. 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 So um, we have been around um, as a worshiping community uh, since September 18th, 2022. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, um, these first several months have been fleshing that out, um, putting the legs and the skin and, 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 and the things of how we want to live that out. That's exactly what practices are. They're not the thing, but they <laughs> are responses to the thing. They are responses to Jesus's movement um, in the world. Um, in history, in the future, um, and m maybe most importantly, in the present. Um, what does it mean to follow this Jesus? And how are we teaching and um, living into that conviction? Mm. So when we talk about practices, we're talking a lot about our life together. Mm. How um, are we building community together? How are we engaging in connection to God? How are we inviting people to connect to God? And I think a lot of what a lot of what we've been what we've felt moved to do and to be are people who remove barriers from mm. people seeing Jesus yeah. from experiencing the presence of God presence of God because as much good as our Christianity has done in the world um, we also and and by we I mean the capital C church um, of which we are very much um, a part of and have been influenced by Intentionally and unintentionally, I think, put barriers in people's way. Yeah. Um, either that being don't question those in authority. Um, don't um, do things that um, go outside of my own morality. Um, don't practice your faith in a way that is different. Um, than mine and don't call sacred those things which I might call profane. Mm. There's a whole lot of nuance to that. Um, but as people who are desiring to live into Christ as the head of the church, we are trying to help 
break down those barriers and create fertile space for people to grow and to commune and to be a part of a community that is seeking the common good, that is seeking to be life-giving, that is seeking to really just share that that is as humans as um, adorable little children, (laughs) we are beloved by God. And there is nothing that we can do that would separate us from that love. And so our practices are the practical ways we do that, are the practical ways that we help people to embody their faith so that they aren't going to a service on Sunday morning and um, listening to the good preacher uh, preach their thing and then leave um, unchanged. We are inviting people into their own transformation, their own um, their own way of living into the idea of Christ as the head of the church and as the author of all that we do. So we'd like to share a couple of the ways that we live into that. And these are things that might be evident if you walk into the door. They might not (laughs) be evident. Um, But we want to give you um, an inside scoop uh, on what we're doing and why Mm. we're doing it. One of the first things that I that are that is incredibly important to us and maybe um, at the foundation of who we are is right in our name, uh, Open Table. We are a people who practice Holy Communion together every week. And so when we're talking about an open table, we are talking about the table, um, the communion table um, by which people are invited to experience and partake in this communal activity of really placing Jesus at the center. Um, Everything that we do in the service leads up to the communion service. Everything um, that that we're teaching and preaching is to make that table as accessible as possible, to make it... um, something that is a place of connection both to the divine and to each other, a place where people feel more included than any other space that they've been a part of um, and more worthy of, Uh, not because they're good people, not because they're bad people, but because they are loved, right? So um, we called ourselves Open Table because that is what we're trying to do. And so we do, we, we practice that every week we're together. Um, we also practice it in particular ways that are meant to be accessible. So um, we use gluten-free bread as the, um, the bodily element um, that of, of our meal together. Um, there are lots of folks with allergies um, and there are lots of kind of ways you can uh, make a table accessible, whether you have like some focaccia and some like gluten-free wafers and you can go to your individual basket and choose that. 
that's fine. Um, We decided together as a community that we want everybody to partake in the same thing. So the only bread that we use for communion is gluten-free. We there are also many ways to talk about um, the the fruit of the vine, uh, which is representative of Jesus's blood. Um, and uh, in many traditions, we have used wine. That was the origin. That was in in our biblical text. That's what they have been doing, and that's what a lot of traditions have done forever, which is fine. Um, I uh, have participated in communion with wine uh, many times and have found that to be extremely meaningful. We also know um, that lots of folks uh, deal with addiction um, and also that certain things interact with medications um, and um, partaking of alcohol with our communion service may not exclude everybody, but it certainly might trigger some, and it might make other people feel like they can't participate because of their addiction issues or because um, they're a child. They're a child. Right. I was going to say, like, my <laughs> children, whenever I go to a church, again, there's a certain, there's different ways of doing this, right? Like, they, you can have two communion trays, one with wine, one with grape juice, or one with uh, different colors. So you can tell which one is the wine, which one is, is the juice. And that is fine. That is a certainly a one way to practice this safely together. But we decided as a community that we want everybody to participate in the same way when they come to the table. That point in and of itself is super, super important that I want to drive home, home, mm-hmm. that it is, it is wonderful to make exceptions for people who have special needs, mm-hmm. to have it be available. Uh, if if somebody shows up who has a gluten intolerance, that you always have something on the side for them, that is great. If you are in a church right now and you don't have that option, please consider doing that. But what it also does is it, te- it, it others that person. Mm-hmm. It says... The majority of us are okay with this. So that's going to be the center of our practice. The majority of us are okay with wine or okay with normal bread. So that's going to be the center. And there's a few exceptions of people who aren't okay with that. So they're going to be on the edges. They're going to be the exceptions. And that's, I mean, if you're just utilitarian putting it all together, that makes sense. You cater to the needs of the many. And you make exceptions for the few. But in the kingdom of God, it's flipped. It is, Jesus says, it's the, it's the meek that inherit the earth. You know, we center the experience of the people who are having a hard time. And those of us in the majority who are fine, we change ourselves. And we inconvenience ourselves to center the people who are having a bad time whatever that person might be at that historical moment. And in that way, we ourselves become servants. We learn humility. We learn to see the experience of people that we wouldn't otherwise experience. And we take on a little bit more of the person of Christ who did not see equality with God as something to be used to his advantage, but made himself a servant becoming obedient, even to death and death on a cross. 
according to Philippians 2. And it seems like an inconvenience, but in many ways, it's just the way that we do things. Like, that's how it's become. Like, it is our, we have normalized this. It, right. You know, and, and it's a little bit more expensive. A little bit. To get gluten-free bread. Mm-hmm. And that was actually... Probably cheaper to get grape juice, though. It, Let's say. It, Balances well, out. <laughs> probably. That was actually something that I had heard from somebody in the past at a, at a different church that, well... If we were to switch to gluten-free bread, it would just cost way too much. And so mm-hmm. we're okay with having some on the side or even having like prepackaged gluten-free wafers that don't expire for 35 years or something, <laughs> just in case somebody shows up and asks. Um, but it's just too expensive. And so we're not willing to do that. And maybe that is somewhat accurate because, you know, we're on a Sunday having, you know, 15, 20, 25 people you can do that on a single baguette. <laughs> um, whereas a bigger church, you know, that might be cost prohibitive. That's not. Well, I'm, That's I'm trying to That's generous of you to say it's <laughs> never cost prohibitive to spend an extra, even then, what, an extra $5? Right. right. No, it's not cost prohibitive. It's just one of those excuses we use when we don't want to be inconvenienced for right. the sake of somebody who is a minority. Right. Yeah. Catering to the many. Yeah. At the exclusion of, of others. So, so I think it's really important that we normalize this and didn't make it this like, well, we'll be inconvenienced for you. We'll spend a little (laughs) bit more money, but we normalized it because at the core, um, we don't want any barriers to making this table accessible to you. Right. Zach, maybe you can speak a little bit to the ways that we live into um, our convictions to be open and affirming um, and, and the ways that we practice an invitational spirit. So the phrase open and affirming is specific to the United Church of Christ and other denominations have different variations on that, which mean basically the same thing, that we not only will accept anyone in the door, but we also affirm for you for who you are created to be. Um, It's that affirmation that is usually the sticking point in churches. Um, But one of the things that we were very careful in crafting our open and affirming covenant is the phrase, regardless of. That we affirm you regardless of (laughs) your gender identity, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. Because what that implies is that these differences are like things we can overlook. Tolerate. Tolerate. Mm -hmm. What What we wanted to affirm is that these are some of the ways that we better know the kaleidoscopic God. So maybe I can just read our Open and Affirming Covenant real quick. It's not long. Open Table United Church of Christ is a faith community founded on the expansive and expanding love of God as made known by Jesus Christ. We affirm the worth, dignity, and inherent belovedness of all people, celebrating our various genders, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions, abilities, ages, races, nationalities, faith backgrounds, marital standings, and family configurations, 
a non-exhaustive list. <laughs> we seek not to erase our distinctions, but to embrace the many ways our diversity reflects our infinite God. We acknowledge the historical church's role in the ongoing persecution of those in the LGBTQIA community and commit ourselves to loving louder than the hate. Though we are founded on these ideals, we acknowledge that we are a work in progress and that there is always room to grow. We trust that the ever-present Spirit of God will continue to give us new opportunities to expand our love and our reach. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. That was something we created as a community. Yes. It's on our website. It's in our constitution. Mm -hmm. It's a part of kind of saying what we mean. Um which then helps us to inform, which helps us, which informs then how we live into. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, <laughs> in college, I took an independent study on queer theology with a friend of mine. Well, queer Christology, more specifically. Oh, in seminary. In seminary. What did I say? College. In college. No, it, it was not, not at Wheaton <laughs> College. No. Um, though many would say not at Palmer Seminary mm, at the time. Maybe. Um, since then, by the way, Eastern University and Palmer Seminary have added um, sexual orientation and gender identity into their non-discrimination clauses. Wonderful. So that's great. Yes. But at the time, yeah, probably maybe would have gotten somebody in trouble. So <laughs> it was me and a friend with a professor and we had we couldn't meet in that professor's office for fear of people overhearing what we were talking about. So we used to meet at Applebee's and we couldn't use her university email address because those emails can be read by administration. So we had to use her Gmail address. And then if anyone ever asked, we were doing simply an independent study on Christology and whatever form of that we chose to pick, we chose to pick, that's a phrase, whatever we chose <laughs> was on us and not on her. <laughs> It really felt like doing theology in a speakeasy. Yeah. It was eye-opening. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. I, for the first time, heard somebody explain Jesus's incarnation in a way that really made sense. And by that, I mean Jesus, God being made manifest here on earth. Um, and it was in this book that, that basically retold John 1. Right In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, you can read that at home. As God's coming out, hmm. that this was God revealing God's self to God's beloved in fullness, in totality, in a radically vulnerable way, which not only allowed for God's people to love God more fully than they could have before, but also opened God up to be hurt in a way that God had never been hurt before. Mm. And it's that tension that I've never had to experience as a cisgendered straight guy. I've never had to have that thought of, do I want to allow myself to be fully seen and therefore fully loved, but also potentially hurt in a way I haven't been hurt before. I've never experienced that, but reading this story 
from this person and their own coming out and then relating that to God's coming out in that way, it blew my mind. I've mm. never really understood the the danger of the incarnation, mm. the emotional, relational danger of it, as well as the potential power of it and how much power there is in a person claiming their own identity. Mm. I've also never heard somebody speak so eloquently and clearly and insightfully about the dual nature of Christ, both human and divine, right? I've read all the old creeds. I've read all the old theologians, all the new theologians, and all the different ways we have contextualized what it means for Christ to be fully human, fully divine. Does he have one will, two wills? Is a human? All of that. But to hear a trans person hmm. talk about being in a body that is more than one thing, and that society doesn't understand, but is a lived experience that they only understand through their body, was like, oh, oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. This is the incarnation. Hmm. You, you are helping me to understand Jesus in ways I've never understood Jesus. And so in, in our affirmation, in our open and affirming affirmation, we are not just saying God loves you for who you are, despite who you love and how you, what your body is, but that you have been created in that way to experience God in a way that some other people can't, so that in this body of faith, you can help us see God differently and more clearly, that you have a perspective that is unique and necessary and it is only through the affirmation of you in that way that you're able to do that. We see God better because of you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So that's at the heart of what it means to be open and affirming and what is uh, why we are that. It's not just about because I'm a liberal and one of the liberal things is that we're woke. super woke and we're into affirming people's genders and sexualities. No, though I'm sure there are some blind spots in there about that as well. But mm -hmm. at the heart, what it is, is that I believe that all humans are divine. I believe along with the early church that and especially the Eastern early church, the Cappadocian fathers, Athanasius, that Christ became human so that humans might become divine. Hmm. That the essence of humanity is wrapped up in the essence of God. That the two are intertwined so much that they are unable to be separated. And that to know a person is to know a piece of God. To know God's beloved. To see a different reflection of God within every living being and especially within our fellow humans. And so when I affirm you for that, I am able to see God more clearly in a way that I can't in a cisgendered straight person. So celebratory. Celebratory. That's not how celebratory celebration. I was going to say <laughs> celebrating, but then I changed it and now it's all a mess. Right. So celebrate the fact that I can speak English. Yes. Yes. As well. <laughs> so this this written covenant um, was one of our very first practices um, to 
then kind of birth the other practices that we do. But some of the practical ways that we um, desire to practice this um, core conviction um, we um, is right in our logo. Um, <laughs> Zach and our community work together to create this logo that includes um the table piece, um, the, 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 the bread and, and the fruit of the vine. Um, but we included, uh, the rainbow colors in there, um, as, as a way to, um, kind of just say, Hey, this is what we believe. This, this, this table is actually open to you. And we, we truly mean that. Right. Um, we have a, uh, a pride flag, um, that hangs uh, on the wall of whatever location we are meeting in at the moment um, to also signal this is an open and inclusive space. We have name tags that have pronouns on them so that you can identify for yourself how you want to be um, identified. And um, one of our practices that we are planning to have going forward, and I say this because it's we haven't gotten to June yet, um, on June 10th, our church will be um, participating in the Pride Fest um, that is taking place in Phoenixville. Uh, we hope to have a table where we can kind of display some information about our church, uh, have t-shirts that um, share our convictions, um, and, and really to celebrate our siblings who identify in the LGBTQIA plus community. So you mentioned the rainbow and the rainbow is important to me to put in that logo just as a, if that's the one thing you see, mm-hmm. if you just see our logo and you see a rainbow and you say, Ooh, that's different. I'm gonna look more into that. But last night, <clears throat> Theo wanted to read a Bible story before bed, <laughs> and he got, he got the, he picked up these books for free. Uh, we don't really have a whole lot of like kids Bible story books around. I know, right? Two pa- two pastors who are parents who don't really read the Bible stories to their kids. But uh, it's a bit of an adult book. It is, and so many <laughs> of the stories are horrifying to read to a five year old. But he found one and he pulled it out and he said, I want to read this one. And so the story was the story of Noah and I, he's five. And so I edited it a little bit because <laughs> the story said God was really mad at all the bad people and wanted to destroy them. <laughs> but God was really, really liked Noah because he wasn't bad. And so God was going to save him. And that, you know, whatever, as a story is whatever, but I didn't feel necessary for my five-year-old to be thinking that God is capable of that sort of thing. Anyway, at the end of the story, God sends a rainbow and he loves rainbows. And he, he loves rainbows. Colors them everywhere. Yeah. And in the story, as in the Bible, it says, God put the rainbow in the sky as a symbol that he would never flood the earth again, which Theo immediately said, well, what about hurricanes? He's still flooding. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, technically that, but not the whole world again. Just, just you know, Florida. But <laughs> in, the, in the Hebrew, it's a bow. There's not a separate word for a rainbow. Mm. It's a bow, like a hunting bow, like a war bow. Mm. What that is, is 
a visual representation of God taking God's weapon and hanging it up in the sky. As if to say, hunting season's over, or the war is over. I will no longer pour out my wrath on humans in this way. I am putting my weapon of war up. It's a story that has a lot of different meanings in its context and all of that. But one of those is that the rainbow signifies God has put God's weapon away. Hmm. And I love that as a metaphor, as an illustration for what the rainbow has become, what it has symbolized. Hmm. That sure, all the colors and the spectrums between the colors, because you know, there's not actually seven colors. In the, the seven color thing was invented by Isaac Newton because he wanted it to have the same amount of of colors as there are notes in a scale. And he liked seven as a number because it was biblical and all that stuff. So the indigo violet nonsense, it really should just be six. But it's also a gradient because nature doesn't work in binaries. Anyway, what it is as a reminder is that God is not destroying people anymore. Hmm. That And maybe we shouldn't. Right. <laughs> God has put God's weapon away. And maybe we need to put our weapons away as well. So what are some of the other ways we're trying to work this out? Yeah, so there are a couple other ways that we want to mention. Um, and then we're going to invite you to share some ideas you might have. Mm. Um, first, I want to talk a bit about our worship services and how we orient them. Um, we really want to um, equip people to engage in the service in their own way. So um, we do this in many ways. Uh, first, one of the things, we we always have um, part of our service dedicated to embodied worship. And really what we mean is that you get yourself involved. <laughs> so whether that is participating through your senses, inviting people to call things out um, that they see related to the topic at hand, inviting people to move uh, around the space, uh, whether that be to putting together a Scrabble board <laughs> or um, walking a labyrinth that we've set up in the space. Invite people to meditate, invite people to um, pray, uh, invite people to engage in a way that they're not just receiving or not just listening, but actually doing. So that's really important to us that um, we give people an opportunity to participate um, in a very tangible way. We have been trying to make a practice of inviting people to respond during our sermon time. So our two uh, sermonators have basically been uh, the two co-pastors, Zach and I. Um, but at the end of the service, we try to, to make space for people to uh, respond, whether that is with a guiding question, asking people how things are sitting with them, something related to what we talked about so that uh, people are engaging with it again. You'll notice that a lot of what we do is is trying to engage people, um, not just kind of giving our thoughts and telling people to believe them, but to to get people to um, to work with what we're talking about, to um, to challenge or deconstruct something that isn't helpful. We invite people to do that. Also, um, after our sermon time is closed. Um, we invite people to call aloud the things that they 
that is on their hearts so that we can pray together as a community. So we would say, you know, what what is on your hearts? What would you like us to pray for? The person mentions that. And then together we have a, a, a collective response of saying, Lord, hear our prayers. That way we're praying together and we're praying for each other and not some um, distant request that isn't actually impacting us. But um, and sometimes it is things that are happening at a distance, but they are impacting us because they are on our hearts and they are things that are happening in the world. So um, the ways that we organize our worship service is much less about some sage on the stage teaching about, um, you know, kind of where we think the spirit is moving, but inviting people to participate in that and, and creating the service together, um, kind of leading from that that servant leadership rather than um, expert, if that makes sense. Yeah. I recently went on a uh, bird walk <laughs> with Candy and uh, her daughter, Lindsay, and I couldn't help but think about how what they were doing for me was very much what I try to do on a Sunday hmm. where when, when I got there, Lindsay asked me, um, Hey, how, how much do you actually know about birds? <clears throat> Cause they're, they're both seasoned veterans. They're <laughs> submitting all of their observations to Cornell. They've, they've got, um, all of the names and the, the 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 calls, they've got the plumage down. They can tell you the male or the female. Lindsay's got bird tattoos. Like, they know <laughs> what they're doing. <clears throat> and I said, I think I know more than the average person, but much less than the average birder. And they were like, that's helpful. That's a helpful starting point. So as we sat there and as we walked around the river with my binoculars, and they've got their binoculars, they made it a special point to point things out for me, to mm. help me to find things where I'm sure the two of them could just be like, ooh, it's a wood thrush over there. And they're like, vroom, and they're both looking at what they're looking for. But they were conscious of, of, of me <laughs> and would say, third tree on the left, look at where the fork in the tree goes and then follow that up until the bunch of branches and then go to the left and you'll see a bird with a red head on the top and this color beak and that's a so-and-so bird and <laughs> this is, and then they'd tell me things about, about the bird, right? So <sighs> they were just kind of experiencing the joy of birding themselves but doing it in such a way that brought me along with them. Hmm. And the point of the whole thing wasn't to listen to a lecture on the birds of Pennsylvania or, you know, to have Candy explain everything in like a, a lesson on hmm. on how birds are. I, I'm not getting the awe and wonder of birds from just listening to them talk about birds. Hmm. They were helping me to experience the joy that they experience hmm. using the wisdom and expertise that they have, which is certainly more than what I have because they've been doing it a lot longer and more intentionally than I have. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to deny that. Yep. But we are all seeing the same birds mm -hmm. and they are just helping me to see those birds hmm. and to understand why they're important and why they're interesting and why they get so much joy out of it. And I think for me, pastoring this church and is, is, is a series of 
me recognizing how wonderful and cool something is and how spiritually edifying something is and then going, ooh, 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 I want you to see. I want you to see and I want you to contribute and I want you to help and mm. I want you to you to help me see the thing and I will help you see the thing. And we're all equal partners in this, right. but we can also acknowledge that, you know, I have a lot of training too. Sure. And I've been doing this intentionally for a long time and, but I'm not the head of the church. I'm not the thing. I'm not the, the, the one who is presenting you. Mm-hmm. With this, I'm not showing you pictures of birds that I saw that you can't possibly see <laughs> on your own. You know, and we're looking love, at the bird together. Yeah. And I love that approach because I feel like Candy and Lindsay would think that you probably have something to offer to, right? Like they're going to teach you and, and share their joy with you, which then is going to help you to see things that maybe they wouldn't have seen. Um, and, and, allow space for you to share that too. And I feel like a hummingbird. I saw a hummingbird and helped them to see it too. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. It was super far away and the thing is so tiny and cute and it was just buzzing around up in the top of a tree. (laughs) I was so excited to contribute something. (laughs) Right. Right. And I feel like, you know, that is, is something that we know in our community. Like our people have something to offer and, we don't want them to keep that to themselves. Like (laughs) um, we teach each other and that doesn't require um, specific training. It, it, It takes noticing and, and maybe even different kinds of training that we want have known. Um, So it's a really good model of ministry. Yeah. And uh, it could be a really fun spiritual practice, too. Yeah. I mean, birding. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize how many birds we had until an expert pointed out how many birds we had. There's so many different kinds. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) So what else? What what other practices are important to us? Um, I think that we're continuing to grow them as we go along, but maybe we mentioned another one or two. Yeah. Um, I think our commitment to being practical hmm. in addition to helping people to see God, hmm. you know, we are, we are not just doing that in a bubble in isolation. We're not just doing that in our heads or even hmm. in our hearts. We are not giving people, um, these tools and spiritual experiences so that they can become better people and then go off and live their lives. It's not just about that. Jesus often, um, I think about how he fed people before he taught them. Hmm. He was there in the community. He was doing things that were, that mattered for the people where he was in that time and place. Hmm. You know, for the most part, he was a poor uh, construction worker, I suppose. And we say carpenter, but there weren't a whole lot of trees. So it wasn't like he was <laughs> a, f- you know, a woodworker who was creating fine tables and things like that. He's, he's a day laborer. He's a construction worker. He's probably doing a lot of, um, building a lot of things that Herod was, was building up, up there. But 
he was a common person uh, who lived on the Sea of Galilee in that area. And so he spent his whole ministry, with the exception of a few little trips here and there during holy seasons, there. Yeah. Making, trying to make a difference there along the Sea of Galilee. He never went to Tiberias and Sephora and those big cities that were up there in Galilee. That wasn't his calling. You know, he stayed where he, where his people were and he served where he was. And so like, we want to always put a practical application to the things that we do and the things that we teach. You know, we have Jesus at the center and Jesus calls us to care about Pottstown. Yes. To care about the children of Pottstown, Mm -hmm. to care about the people who are victims of gun violence in Pottstown. Um, I, I challenge people often because we are a people who are deeply committed to causes to not just be concerned with the causes to not just pray for the causes but to find a personal local connection to those causes yeah so we're not just fighting for equal funding for education we are fighting for equal funding for education for Pottstown middle school Mm -hmm. and for the names and faces of the people that we know because we spend our free time volunteering (laughs) through our friends and partners with uh, strive in connecting with students so we have faces and names and relationships with the people that we're caring for. Yes. You know, we are uh, partnering with Power Interfaith to advocate um, in in Harrisburg, not just for large systemic issues, but for the individuals in our community that we know and love that they impact. Right. It always goes back to that individual connection, you know, which is why I mean, our eventual goal, um, the sort of phase four of, of <laughs> our church plant, is that we want a public-facing seven-day-a-week business of some kind, a gathering place where people come together, maybe they eat, maybe they drink, uh, maybe they fellowship, maybe they play games. I don't, I don't know. We've got a lot of ideas. And instead of coming at the community day one with our ideas about what we think (laughs) the borough needs, uh, we've kind of tried to be intentional about listening and finding out what the borough actually needs uh, before we go ahead and plant whatever business this is that's going to house our church, our worshiping church. Worshiping community. Right. But will be the sort of forward-facing public connection. Yeah, a place that people can gather, uh, maybe even a safe space to provide recreation um, for kids in the community, for adults in the community, a place where people can connect with people who have like-minded hobbies, interests, um, some kind of community hub, because we want to continue to invest. Yeah. Because the whole deal with Jesus is that the ineffable become flesh. Right. The eternal became mortal. The ideas became tangible. That which was far beyond became something you can touch and talk to and smell and be with. And everything that we do then needs to be geared because we have Christ at the center of what we do towards an incarnational way of living 
where our beliefs and ideas don't just change who we are, but also how we move through the world. So friends, um, these are some of the practices that we have had in place. We've had some other practices that um, that already met their time. Um, we, you know, had morning prayer for a while. Um, we've had Bible studies, a Bible study in the evening um, on Wednesdays. And we're going to continue to stay open to the Spirit, um, the Spirit moving in and through us. And so, um, like we did in our last episode, we'd like to invite you to uh, do some of your own dreaming, your own prayerful discernment. We're going to ask you a couple questions and give you some times to some time to actually sit and reflect. Um, and like Zach invited you last time to share with us some of your answers, we invite you to share your answers with us. Um, the cool thing about practices is that you can just try them out. <laughs> it helps you to be imaginative and creative and mm. um, to maybe even see God in a different way than we might have before. So thank you for listening to us and our ideas. And by ours, I mean our community's ideas. Here's an invitation to dream. Take a moment to think about the ways that you have practiced your faith. Which of those ways have been meaningful to you? What would your life, or maybe even the wider world, look like if we persisted in living according to our convictions? Are there times, places, or rituals in which you are more fully aware of the presence of God? What are they?
friends, thank you for continuing to dream with us and using your sacred imagination to envision what we might create together. Again, please share with us anything that you heard, that you envisioned, any ideas you might have for more practically living out the convictions that we hold together.